welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Fantastic. Why don't you give someone a high five or a big hug or a holy kiss? Come on, young people. Now's your chance to bust a move. You might be sitting next to your wife-to-be. Wow. Isn't it great to be in church on Sunday night? I am so excited to be here. Hello to all my friends, my family, mum and dad. I love you. Oh, and um, all my Tyndalian friends, I see a few of my Tyndalian brothers and sisters. If, I, um, if there's any people here that are at Tyndale between about 1987 87 and 92, and um, you were younger than me and I bullied you or did anything inappropriate, I I am a reformed person, I've changed, please forgive me, and um, I see a few of you are a lot larger than you used to be, and um, I I don't know what was going through my head in those days, so um, please forgive me, okay? Who thinks that we should forgive and not, particularly when guys are huge, okay? So, it is so good to be here, and uh, as you can see, we have had an amazing camp, and um, the, the incredible thing is that it's not just a camp that changed people's lives. Um, young people, young people who have grown up in church, young people who have never even been associated to a church, they had an encounter with the living God. And uh, the thing I love about this church, um, Tony and Kath, is that, and the leaders of this church, is that they believe that... that so wholeheartedly that church isn't an organization, it's not an institution, it's a group of people who have a personal and a loving living relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, I think that's a phenomenal place to be in a church that believes in relationship with God. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready? I think he's going to preach. If you've got your Bibles here, and um, I, I don't know the whole deal about throwing shoes. Um, if anyone throws a shoe while I preach, can we get the ushers or the deacons just to throw a headlock on them and take them right out the door, okay? And um, it, it's, it's inappropriate behavior there, brother, okay? We're in church now. We've got to be serious and we can't have fun. Okay, there we go. All right. A very special happy birthday to Amy Benithan who was one of my life group leaders back in the day, and she is an absolute champion. I can't see her back there in the bleachers. Renee would say that she loves you, and she'd want to give you a cuddle and a hug and say, keep going, champion. There we go. Why don't we clap if we're going to clap? Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Mark chapter 2. I want to talk to you tonight about the, about the culture of the kingdom. See, if we're in Christ, if we, if we have relationship with God, we therefore are in the kingdom of God. It sounds like a big, long word, kingdom of God, but really we're in the family of God. And, um, and there's certain cultures and certain behaviors that we should have in our hearts and in our lives if we're part of the kingdom of God, if we're part of the family of God. If you're in a football club, um, like Danny Morton and I used to play for the Roosters, North Adelaide, and um, good to see you, Danny. You are a champion. You were always a better footballer than me. I tried so hard to live up to your high standards, but oh well, I ended up this person. So, so... 
there's certain cultures and certain behaviours that were in the football club that were acceptable and unacceptable. But tonight I want us to have a bit of a reflection and have a bit of a look at, at some of the kingdom culture that, that we should have in our hearts and, and should be outworked in our life. Some of the behaviours and some of the culture that should be associated. Most of us are ob- obviously operating in this, but it's good to have a tune-up and 100,000 kilometres to make sure that we're checking the oil and everything's in place and that we're going in accord with what God's standard is for us to to be. So in Mark chapter 2 verse 1, it says, And Jesus, having returned to Capernaum, everyone say Capernaum. After some days it was rumored that he was at a house, in the house, which was probably Peter's. And so many people gathered together that there was no longer room for them, and not even around the door as he was discussing the word. And then they came. Everyone say, they. Come on, nice and loud. They. Then they came, bringing a paralytic to him who'd been picked up and was being carried by four men. And when they could not get him to a place in front of Jesus because of the crowd, they dug through the roof above and when they'd scooped out an opening, they let down the thickly padded quilt or mat on which the paralyzed man lay. And when Jesus saw there, everyone say there. Come on, nice and loud, there. There's a couple of young lads going through puberty right then. That was like, one day something will drop and you'll go there. Okay, sorry. Okay. And when Jesus saw their faith, their confidence in God through him, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven and they're put away and your penalty and your, is, rem, is removed and your sense of guilt removed and remitted. So what I want us to have a look at here, my first point, as we evaluate and as we have a look at our own hearts and our own lives in relation to the kingdom culture, is that we need to be people who have persistent faith. We need to be a, a generation of, of men and women of God that, that outwork and that, and that have relentless faith. There was something in these four men where they'd recognize that there was a paralyzed man that needed the help of Jesus. We saw that we held a camp this weekend because we know that young people, give me an amen, they need Jesus. Young people, we hear all the statistics. We hear about the drug and alcohol abuse. We hear about the youth depression, the youth suicide. And we know that that's why a church like this is so needed in the community because we know that God has the answer. These four men knew that if they could get this paralyzed man, this sick man to a place where Jesus was, then they knew that Jesus could do something and his life would be changed and he'd be healed. But as they were on the journey to get to a place where Jesus was, they finally get there. And as they get to the place where Jesus is, there's so many people that have crammed into the house. See, this is the thing. Everywhere where there's a reality and and the realness and the authenticity of Jesus, he draws a crowd. Where this place... Jesus is on the planet at this time, at this season, and everyone wants to hear what he's saying. But these four men, they pick up the paralyzed man, they all grab their corner of the mat, and they get him to a place where Jesus is. And at that point, I'm sad to say, but that's sometimes where some Christians think, well, you know what, we've actually done our duty. We've, we've met our minimum requirement. We've, we've sort of met the status quo. And, and we, we did have an interest and we did have a heart. And we, did, we, we, we really meant well, but that whole Australian adage of um, she'll be right, mate, 
Well, at that point, that could have kicked in and they could have just dropped the man out the front of the door where Jesus was and thought, you know what, I've done my bit. It's time for someone else to pick up the slack and maybe they can take him to a place where Jesus is. See, but there was something in these four guys that thought, you know what, near enough is not good enough. She won't be right. There was something on the inside of them that said, we have a personal responsibility to see this young man, this paralyzed man come to a place of full healing, of full restoration. It's us, the church's responsibility, to take upon ourselves the responsibility that, you know what, God has uh, has called us to reach a lost and a hurting and a broken and a dying generation. We're not any better than anyone and anyone else, but what we do have is the reality of God and He's real and He's changed our hearts and He's changed our lives and we can't just keep it bottled up. We've got to, we've got to share it. So these four guys with relentless faith, faith that doesn't give up when it gets a knockback, faith that when it is faced with adversity, keeps pressing through, they decide, you know what? What a crazy idea. Why don't we just take him up the side of the house and maybe there's an opening on the roof. So they lug him up. They've already walked many, many miles and they take him up to the side of the house and they get him up on top of the roof and do a place where at that point, maybe some level of doubt or some level of disappointment could have kicked in because you know what? There, there, there was no opening on the top of the roof. There was no opening to, to lower this man down. But then I love, there's always one crazy guy. There's always one crazy dude. There's always someone that wants to push the envelope. There's always someone that just wants to push the rules. There's always someone that just wants to think, you know what? Imagine, imagine if we could actually smash a hole through the roof We've got Jesus down there, the Son of God. He's teaching the Word. They've never heard anything like this. Well, wouldn't it be crazy if we actually smashed a hole down? See, there was something on the inside of them that thought, you know what, I'm not going to give up until I get a breakthrough. I'm not going to give up until I see this man come to healing. I'm not going to give up. Near enough is not good enough. I'm going to keep pushing through until I see the breakthrough, until I see this young man come to a place where he gets fully healed and fully restored and his life set free by the living, loving power of Jesus Christ. So there he is. I'd say he might have got his size 13 boot and started cracking through the roof. And could you imagine the the potential offense that was about to take place? All of a sudden, Peter's mum, it was her probably her house, and she's sitting there going, oh my goodness, who's going to be paying for the roof up there? Everyone else is freaking out, thinking, you know, this is irreverent. Jesus is teaching down here. But these guys didn't care. They didn't care what the status quo should be. There was a desperation on the inside of the sword. Do you know what? We've got to do whatever it takes to see people come to know Jesus. So they boot through the roof. And then all of a sudden, as Jesus is teaching so eloquently, he begins to look up and he sees footwear flying through. Fist marks, fist flying down. Plaster and clay and hay and everything flying everywhere and terracotta tiles and, and galvanized iron, corrugated. No, sorry, wrong era. So all of a sudden, it, it starts coming down. And then I love at this point that, that Jesus said something very powerful. He said, he said, because of their faith, because of their faith, because of their faith. It wasn't because of the paralyzed man's faith. It was the faith of four people. They had a relentlessness in their heart. There was a pursuit within them that they weren't going to give up until it gets a knockback. See, my my mum and dad are here, and I love them so dearly. 
But there was a season where um, I, I wasn't going on with God. There was a season where I probably, in reality, I, I probably was bringing a bit of shame on my family because I wasn't living right. I was out in the nightclubs. I was doing all sorts of stuff. I was into all sorts of substance abuse, drinking myself silly, carrying like an absolute turkey. And um, mum and dad could have just held the position of, well, you know what? He's just a teenager. It's just a, just a phase that he's going through. And he's just trying to figure out who he is and, and different things like that. But there, there was something on the inside of him that thought, you know what? We're not just going to pick up the paralyzed man. We're not just going to leave Cameron by the door. We're going to see this through to completion. So there was something on the inside. So my dad at the time was driving trucks from Adelaide up to big road trains up to Darwin and back, doing that a couple of times a week. Mum was involved in a children's church ministry. And dad, while he's driving up and down the highway in the truck, he's praying, saying, God, I pray that you do something in Cameron's life. I pray, God, this isn't good enough that he's out there doing this stuff. God, you've called him to be in the house of the Lord serving you. You've called him to have a relationship with you. Mum, in the meantime, she's doing the dusting around the house. She's doing the vacuum as all good women should and um oh sorry I don't mean to say that that slipped out Freudian slip so there mum was doing what a woman should I mean oh so keep going there sorry sorry I just lost half the crowd apparently there's not many poor power supporters here either is that true it's good to see you all going so well anyway where's the crows oh number two okay let's keep going sorry okay we won't talk about the Gold Coast Suns, who I'm a member of. We'll just forget about that. But we did win yesterday, and whoa, we got so excited. Wow. Go. Okay. So mum, one day she feels led at the same time while dad's driving down the road in a truck. At both separate occasions, mum feels to go into my bedroom. So she goes into the bedroom, and she's, she's praying to the Lord. This isn't good enough, God. Lord, the devil's got his hands on Cameron and we, we rebuke his hold over Cameron's life. And she went and prayed over my bed. And as she prayed over my bed, she's saying, that, Lord, as he sleeps here, let him know your love. Let him know your forgiveness. Let him know your loving kindness. Then she begins to pray over my pillow. And as she prays over my pillow and she saw all the saliva and the drool because I'm one of those ones that sleep and it does, sorry, that's just how it rolled. And she's praying over my pillow and said, Lord, let his head rest in your righteousness, God. Lord, let him, let him come to know you as his head hits the pillow. Let him know your presence. And then she feels led to go over to my walk-in wardrobe. And she pulls open the robe. And as she pulls open the robe, she begins to pray and prophesy over my clothes that, he would be, that I would be clothed in right standards, that I'd be clothed in God's standard for living, that I'd be clothed in God's righteousness, that I'd be forgiven by God's love. And then she looked down and, and she saw my, my foot boots, And as she picked up my football boots, something quickened into her heart, a scripture that's in the Bible saying, blessed are those that bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the feet of those that bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as she said that, she felt right within her heart that God was saying that I should be out there speaking and preaching the love of God and not going out into the tents of wickedness, not going out to all those places anymore. Well, she had no idea and dad neither did they didn't know, but I had a really bad experience on drugs one night. And um, I called out to God, and, and through that time, God came and saved me. 
I don't want to go into all the detail. We're short on time. But God made himself so real to me at that time. I was so confused that I thought, you know what? I found you, God, while I was on drugs. Well, maybe, maybe I need to go and find you again. So I thought, you know, we'll plan the time. In three days later, we were going to go and get some drugs again. And we were going to go on that particular substance. And we were going to go and find God again, me and another friend. That's how confused I was. Well, you know what? Because mum... Because dad, other family, friends, people of our church were beginning to pray and begin to intercede. They were having relentless faith. They weren't satisfied that I was just out there doing what I sh- all the wrong stuff. But they decided within their hearts they were going to take ownership of the situation and ownership of the problem that the relentless faith began to rise within their heart. Well, you know what? Come that Friday night in my friend's SLR 5000 Tirana with an aluminium drop tank. With the fluffy white dice on the rear vision mirror, we're driving out to the northern suburbs and all of a sudden, for the very first time, I felt like, you know what? What would happen to me right now if a car came and hit me? Where's my eternity? Am I right with God? If God's not there, then where will I go? And the power and the conviction of, of my destiny and my walk with God confronted me so strongly and so heavily that I forced my friend to stop the car because I was terrified that if we took one step further and a car came out of a side street and T-boned us and, and, and killed me, then where, where would I go? I was petrified. But this is the thing is that, that God loves me. God loves you. God was going after me. He was stirring mum and dad to begin to pray. He was talking to other family members. And, and as this was going on, I pulled up the car, jumped out on my knees over at the Tyndale School, the old Salisbury Teachers College, jumped out on my knees and right there and then said, God, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I can't live like this anymore. I want to give you my life. Relentless faith. Relentless faith. Turn to the person next to you and say, we need to have relentless faith. If we're to be people that, that have the kingdom culture in our hearts, we have to have a heart for the lost and the broken people. This paralyzed man symbolizes a generation lost, a generation that's broken, a generation that needs the love of God, the generation that needs the healing power of God, a generation that needs the forgiveness and the grace of God. These guys could have just been going around doing what they wanted to do. They could have just been focused on their home and their mortgage and their needs and getting by for themselves. And they could have just been focusing on their small world. But there was something on the inside that they had an outward focus. They had an awareness of the other people around them. They had, a, they had an awareness of the condition of people around them. As a church, we need to continue to rise up and have a, an awareness of the condition of the society that we live in. Because God has equipped us and given us a voice and given us his power to reach a lost and hurting generation. So as we see these four guys, there was a sense that, you know what, we need to own this man's situation and we need to have a heart for the lost and the broken. See, I've been in ministry now in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in this capacity for about 15 years now. And, um, and I'm sorry to say, and I'm just going to be very honest, Sometimes in my own life at different times, it can be quite easy to slip in and just become a, a professional pastor. And, um, 
And I, I know the ropes now and I've been around and, and, and I've done it. And I can easily say to myself, well, you know what? I'm over Youth Alive, which is probably the number one evangelistic ministry that's been in Australia in the last 25 years, reaching young people. Last year alone in Queensland, we saw over 3,000 young people give their lives to Jesus through Youth Alive events, which is fantastic. But you know what? Subliminally and, 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 and subconsciously, I could even get to a point where, you know what? Wow, look at that. God's used me to see so many people saved. And God absolutely ripped me one day. In our church, we were doing, we were doing just walk across the room, a, a series um, about from Bill Hybels, a church in Willow Creek in the in, in, um, United States. And we were ta- our whole church was going through this about just walk across the room. It's simply just walk across the, 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 the zone of the unknown out of your own comfortable circle of Christian friends. Walk across the room and engage with someone that you actually don't know. Get involved in their world and build relationship authentically with them. So... I'm being asked to do a teaching on this. And I'm just feeling convicted to my core, thinking, you know what, I haven't won someone to Jesus for the last three years. And then I'd say to myself, well, you know what, thousands of young people have come to the Lord. And I'm like, you know what, that's weak for myself. I'm hard on myself here, okay? I'm not being condemning to you guys, okay? This is myself. I'm harsh on myself. So there I am, and I'm going, you know what, I need to step it up. So during the course of this series... One morning we woke up and um, my wife had absolutely failed me. It was, it was terrible. It, it rocked my world. There was no bread and there was no milk for, for the morning coffee and for toast in the morning. And so I'm like, okay, babe, thanks a lot. Well, I got up early and I went down to the servo. And while I was at the servo, I'm, in, I'm under pressure. I've got to get to church on time and I've got to be preaching. And, and I'm thinking, well, we got to, we, we're running short on time. And, and this lady is at the console and she's on the phone and she's talking um, just, I could see that it was a personal conversation. It wasn't work-related. And so I'm starting to get a bit impatient, thinking, you know, did you serve me? Like, what, what's going on, you know? Like, I've got to get to church. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an important person, like not. And there I was, and I'm like, you know, and, and, and I just, I'm just impatient. And then she hung up the phone. All the other customers weren't around. And she began to say, oh, young people. And I'm like, oh, young people. And right there and then, I felt the Holy Spirit quicken to me. This is an opportunity right now. So I'm like, young people? I work with young people. I love young people. In fact, the organization that I work for is called Youth Alive. Young People Alive. So, and so I'm going like that. And she's like, oh, okay. And she goes, um, I said, well, what, what's wrong? Like, she goes, oh, my daughter. She's a pain in the rear end. And she's, she's abusing me. She's... she's, she's just going through a terrible time at the moment. Something happened in her life and she's, she's never been the same. It's like she's changed. And I said, I'm thinking, okay, was she a boyfriend broken up, something minor? Not like serious to young people, okay, you know, I feel you. <laughs> just felt the crowd just like, oh, I loved him. <laughs> I thought he was the one. <laughs> you don't know the pain. <laughs> so... Something serious like a teenage relational breakup. I thought it was something like that. And then, but then she went on to say, she goes, her best friend just died of meningococcal disease. I'm like, well, and here I was looking at my watch and getting my bread and milk. There I was thinking, I've got to get to church. And this lady has just had a daughter who's lost her best friend to meningococcal disease. I'm just like, Ooh. So I went and had a discussion. I said, you know what? I'm actually on my way to church and, and, um, and, and I, I want to pray for you. 
And um, right there and then we prayed and she just started bawling. I go to church, do my business. I can't stop thinking about it. I share it with my wife, Renee. And then I'm thinking, you know, we've dealt with grief in youth ministry before. We've dealt with different things from different times. And what we felt in our heart is that, that I was going to go and get a journal because it's what we recommend young people sometimes to get a journal. They don't know how to speak and vent their emotions, their anger, their frustration, their questions, all the unknown deals that are going on in their world. So we say, just write it down, get it out. So I go to the newsagent, and I want to get to the newsagent. I'm like, okay, what should I get? Which journal should I get? And it's this beautiful red leather bound one with those little elastic bands. So I'm like, that's the one, okay? So I grab that. Then I turned it around and saw the price, and I'm like, are you sure, God, that's the one? <laughs> okay. Then so I grab that journal, and I'm like, okay, let's come on. I can't just get a journal. I've got to do a little bit more. So I go over, and, and I look at the pens, and I see the $2.95 big pens, and I think, oh, that's probably a bit cheap. Oh, what should I do? Then the lady leads me over to the cabinet in the glass cabinet. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so they go through, and it's like, I'm thinking, oh, man, which one should I get? The black one, the green one, this one? And then I saw a red one. And it was beautiful and it was shining and it was saying, pick me, pick me. So I grabbed that one. I'm thinking, oh, this is good, God. I know what you're doing here. You've got some beautiful red theme, a theme of redemption, a theme of the love of God. Your blood was shed for... So I'm like, okay. So then I grabbed the pen. I grabbed the book. I flipped over underneath the pen to see how the price of the pen. I'm like, all of a sudden, I nearly had a heart attack and dropped dead. So then I walked over and got thought, you know what? That's not good enough. So I went and got a bag to put it in. It was a nice red bag. So I'm like, really going with the red theme and then I think I've got to get a card so I walk over the cards and I'm like with three red things let's look at the red things okay have a look. I pick a red card there we go and so I jump in the car and and Renee and the kids had been waiting like what took so long I go do you know how stressful that is like that's unbelievable and I'm like I'm just trying to do a good thing for God here and oh man so I jump back in the car and Renee's like you think you like red I'm just having a go for Jesus. Like, so, so I jump in. We're on the way. We get to the, to the, to the service station. And I'm like, this is, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be incredible. And I'm like, okay. Go up to the service station. And then there's like full-on dudes like with, you know, in, um, and, and they, they were like tradies. And everyone was there. And I it, it just, oh, just thought, oh, this isn't going to be the moment. And there's like old grannies with walking sticks. And I'm just like, oh, when's the opportunity going to be here? And I sort of was sort of loitering. And then other people were looking at me thinking, is this guy going to rob the place? Like, well, and I'm just like, I'm just getting awkward. And then I'm like, you know, I'm just going to line up with everyone else. And so I've got the bag behind my back. And other people are like, what's he got behind his back? And so, so I'm sort of like... Then I walk up and I'm sort of like, ta-da. <laughs> I handed her the red bag and I said, um, I haven't been able to stop thinking about you. I told my wife about your situation and, and it's really moved us and, and we really believe that God can do something in your daughter's life. And what we want you to do is we want you anonymously to give this to your daughter. We don't want to be a part of it and we want you to give it to her and, and say that, sweetie, I love you. I don't know how to deal with some of the stuff you're going through, but can you write it down? And when you're ready to come and share it with me, why don't you come and open up and talk to me about it? She's like, I'm like, you're making me cry. Like I look like a, like I was going to rob the place, and now I'm crying. It's like, no. it's an two ends of the spectrum. 
So I give it to her. I kept going back for the next six, eight, 12 months, going back there, having a chat. How's your daughter? I gave him my card. You know what? There's no big story that the young girl gave her life to Jesus. There's no big story that she came to a Youth Alive event and Reggie Dabbs was there and he was preaching and he was talking about how big his stomach was and he got caught upside down on a roller coaster. His fat was rolling towards his face and he had to push it down. And then he couldn't hold it back anymore. So then all of a sudden his stomach fell out of his T-shirt. He fell upside down and his belly button gave him a hickey on his forehead. Uh, it, 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 It wasn't any of that. And then all of a sudden it wasn't like... She came down the front and she knelt at the altar and she wept and she wept and she wept and all the thousands of people went home and she just was consumed by the love of God. It wasn't one of those stories. But you know what? Two weeks later, I was at the Gold Coast in between two services. I was a visiting speaker at the church. We went to fitness first in between and just had a quick workout. And then we went to the steam room afterwards. I'm in the steam room. I'm talking with the pastor. And we're talking about Adelaide and reflecting on all the good times that, that I had when I'd lived here. And then all of a sudden, this, this, um, this lady that was there, she starts interrupting our conversation. And at first, I'm like, excuse me? Like... Did we welcome you into the conversation? And she thought, boom, right there, just one of those people. And I was like, okay, so I guess we're having a three-way conversation now. So we start having discourse and having a discussion. And, um, and she, uh, she went on to say that she's a, dental, she's a dentist and she's on the Gold Coast. She's got no family. I said, I know people who teach dentistry in my old church. And um, they were lecturers. Oh, she's, I know him. He's so fantastic. He's, uh, oh, he taught me so much. He's got such a good heart. And there's all this connection of Adelaide going on. And, um, and then I said, you know what? Um, I'm about to go and speak at a church, and um, well, she's oh, I'm not into church. I said, look, it's um, it's a really cool, funky church. Like, there's there's some really hot guys, and um, see, she was a single girl, so I'm like, I've got to throw the bait out there. And she's got to get her to church somehow. She goes, well, I'd love to come, but um, I've, I've got my push bike here. I came on my push bike. So ah, no problems. We'll put it in the boot. And I'm like, looking at the guy whose car was, can we? And he, he's like, yeah, yeah, no problems. So we go off to the guy, guy's area and get changed and all that. Just want to qualify that. She went off to the girl's area and, um, and she was taking ages. And we're like, man, we, we're going to get there. We, this, I've got to preach. This is ridiculous. And I'm like, what is she doing in there? Is she doing her hair? Is she getting a manicure? What's going on? Is she having trouble with her eyeliner? Did she press it too hard and stab herself in the eye? I, I don't know what was going on. So we went to the fitness first lady and said, can you just go in there and see what's going on? So, you know, we've we got to go. And um, so the, the other fitness first lady came out, the manager, and said, look, the the young girl would love to come and be a part of the, the church thing that you're going to, but she doesn't feel she has the appropriate clothing. So the pastor that I'm with going, no problems. I've got something that she can wear. Now, he's a single 40-year-old guy. I'm like, you got something that, for a girl to wear? Like, size 8, little girl. Like, look at the size of you, bro. Like, he's a big Maori dude. I'm like, I don't think that's going to work. He's like, no, no, no. I've got a pink polo shirt in my golf bag. I'm like, I don't want to go there, okay? So he's got the pink polo shirt and the golf bag, worn once, mind you, okay? So we go to the car, bring it back. She's in there. She's obviously trying to see from different angles how it's looking. Is it okay? Am I going to look okay? So then she comes out and she's sort of like, how is it? And we're like, honestly, that looks phenomenal. 
it looks incredible. Honestly, you're going to fit right on in. Let's just get out of here. So we put the bike in. We jump in. And you know what? Right from the word go on the praise and worship like we had at the beginning of the meeting here. Right from the word go, she was, um, the, the pastor said, is there something that we, want to, we, that we can pray for you? If I can just get the musos to come up, that would be great. Is there something that we can, we can pray for you if you've got a need? All of a sudden, she puts up her hand. Then all of a sudden, the pastor says, um, if you want to believe God for a miracle, that God can do something powerful in your life or in your family's life, why don't you lift up your hand? We want to pray for you. Every single thing where the pastor said, do you want prayer for? She puts her hand up. Then I'm thinking, this is a done deal. So like what I'm going to do in just a moment, I gave her an opportunity to pray a prayer to give her life to Jesus like I asked all the people in the church that Sunday night. And you know what? Straight away, boom, her hand went up. See, can I say this? Is it so often in church life we feel like we have to get an immediate result for sharing our faith? You know that young lady, that, that woman and her daughter, I don't live in that area anymore. And every few months I take a big detour around there to go and drop in to see if I can see them still. Sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not. I'm still believing. But you know what? How cool was it when there was an immediate result? See, I'd love to get up here and say, share your faith. And everyone you share your faith with is going to give their life to Jesus. The requirement is simply that we have to have a heart for lost and hurting people. Doesn't mean we have to get them all saved straight away. And what about if they don't respond? And what about if they don't come to church? Do we not love them anymore? Absolutely not. That's where we dig in and love them all the more. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.